Well, a while back, I, I read a book called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It was written by Jean-Dominique Balbi, who was the French editor of Elle magazine and a respected journalist. At age 43, he suffered a massive stroke that put him into a coma for three weeks. And when he woke up, he found that he'd lost control of his entire body. So his mouth, his arms, his legs just would not move. And he couldn't speak or communicate except for one saving grace. He could blink one of his eyes. And so his mental faculties were completely intact, but he had just no way to communicate. Balbi was caught in locked-in syndrome. You might have heard of that. Well, you can only imagine the frustration of wanting to communicate, but being unable to. And he eventually learned to communicate, but the process was remarkably drawn out. So an assistant would recite the entire alphabet. And when she came to the right letter, Balbi would blink. And then she would recite the alphabet again. And when she reached the right letter, Balbi would blink again. And this would happen dozens of times until he had spelled out an entire sentence. And that would happen hundreds of times until he had formed a whole paragraph. And by this excruciatingly slow process, Balbi was able to write his own memoir. And when you read or watch something like this, it makes you just freshly aware of your own body and your freedom and your ability to talk and move and feel. And because I'm a pastor and I'm slightly obsessive about churchy things, it made me also think about the similarities between Balby's situation and God's relationship to his body, the church. And in some sense, the church suffers from a form of locked in syndrome. You see, Jesus, the head, wants the world to know him and to express himself through a functioning body. But something seems to have happened, a stroke, if you like, that means this body is not working as intended. And Jesus's vision and passion for the world has been limited. And so for us at Mosaic, failing to build a multicultural church uh, that values and affirms diversity has left us weaker, less able to communicate with the world while those in the minority feel excluded and marginalised. And so this preaching series, Gracism, the Art of Radical Inclusion, has been an attempt to lift the lid off the conversation and make us healthier, a, a more biblical church. And being based in 1 Corinthians 12 for six weeks, it means we're familiar with the Apostle Paul's desire for the body, the church, to seek unity, not uniformity to recognise we're one spirit, one body, one in Christ. Diversity is to be desired with different parts valuing one another, some parts that have lacked honour needing to be lifted up and valued. And what we've heard back from you is that the reality of uh, for people of colour in our church family is that it's been hard to integrate. It, some, some of them have noticed um, that they feel avoided at times or people have not made the effort to get to know them. People of colour feel the pressure to compromise, to assimilate in order to fit in with the majority rather than stay who they are. And we've heard back from you guys that that people have really appreciated talking about this, however uncomfortable it feels. But we've also heard back from many people in the white majority culture as they confess their ignorance. They would say eyes have been opened to the huge challenging challenges facing the marginalised. And there just seems to be this new desire to lay down privilege in order for others to benefit. You know, Christian author Andy Crouch talks about something called game theory. And game theory has sort of three options. One is I win, you lose. So there are limited resources that we compete for to get what I want or need. I have to take it from you. 
And this is the church where the majority ignores the minority. This is the insiders taking the best food at the shared lunch and the new outsiders being left with the pickled onions or some other detestable food or you know what I mean. But this has changed over time uh, with growing awareness and desire to help others. We now talk about win-win. So instead of I win, you lose, we talk about win-win as it seems harsh to care only for the self. And this is where we could end up, multicultural church where both parties win. But as of late, people have been reflecting on this framework and though many are willing to help in individual situations, rarely are we willing to change structural or power dynamics of society to help others. And this can result in a sort of paternalism or condescension, even in our best moments of of generosity. So win-win can really mean I'll help right now if it works, but not if it costs me deeply. So Andy Crouch proposes a new framework, which is I sacrifice, we win. And in this framework, we don't just serve or give to meet an immediate need. We change the posture of our lives to give what we have accumulated in such a way that it costs us something. We sacrifice and serve to raise others up. And this third category is the way of Jesus. It could not be clearer from Jesus' life that privilege is not something to be ignored or enjoyed. It's to be stewarded for the sake of others. And Andy says this, he says, the most transformative acts of our lives are likely to be the moments where we radically empty ourselves in the very settings where we'd normally be expected to exercise authority. This redirection of our privilege of which Um, many of us possess in incredible amounts is the opportunity for the church right now. I sacrifice, we win, is the posture needed for the church to be diverse and unified and loving. Sacrificing what feels comfortable, stretching beyond your existing friendship groups, singing in a different language, finding someone to befriend, even though no one has come to you and reached out to you. Listen, We're also aware that as we've gone about this series, there's also just a bit of a frustration at not being able to put it into practice straight away because we're not meeting together as we used to. But listen, I would so encourage you that there are still practical ways we can move forward. You can still go for a walk with someone. You can make a phone call. You can write a card. You can pray. You can read so you educate yourself. You can start asking questions and listen well. You can initiate conversations. You can reflect on how you'll be different when in-person meetings return. So there are still things we can do. And I just want to encourage you to think creatively about how you actively engage in what we're talking about on Sundays. And Listen, as as we've highlighted the issue of race and diversity, others that feel forgotten or excluded or ignored are also finding their voices. So just a few weeks ago, I spoke to an older person at church who'd felt the challenge of feeling part of the family when most people seemed younger um, and had never really initiated back with them. And so we're hearing from people with disabilities or people from different classes, people with different educational levels that just are feeling excluded and marginalised. And my thought is this, if God is at work right now um, through this diversity series, we will also start to address the other imbalances. We just ask for patience as we do that, because there's a long journey ahead that starts with listening and a posture of humility. 
So listen, as we finish up this series with a text that's very challenging for an individual culture to hear, I'm really trusting that this is going to be a series that that is um, uh, a, a real change in the life of the church. It's something that is um, we look back on as a, a moment, a, a pivot point where things look different. So our text today, very simply, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. So look, in 1 Corinthians 12, we've heard God has put the body together. Honour should be given to those that lacked it. There should be no division in the body. Equal concern should be shown. And then lastly, as one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. The Apostle Paul is saying the church has a connectedness that means when something happens, it happens to everyone at the same time. If you were brought up in the UK, even though we are an individualistic culture by and large, I think we still sort of resonate with that sense of togetherness. If you remember when... um, the UK hosted the Olympics in 2012. Collectively, we felt the pride and the honour as each athlete won. Together, we felt we were winning as a nation, even though it was Mo Farah and Jessica Ennis-Heel who did the hard work. And when one lost, we all lost. But when one won, we all won. And Paul is saying that there's something of a similar dynamic that happens in the church. Notice he says, it happens whether we're aware of it or not. As one part suffers, every part suffers. As one part is honoured, every part celebrates. We just need to start feeling it. It's an unhealthy body that is experiencing something but not aware of it. And I think God's been speaking to us about that for a while. You remember several years ago, Eddie Lyle highlighted the plight of the persecuted church at our Love Nations conference. Those 260 million Christians around the world that face hardship because of their faith. It's roughly equivalent to about one in eight Christians. And the horrible fact that 2,983 Christians were murdered for their faith last year that we're aware of. People like six-year-old Debbie was caught up in the 2019 Easter bomb attacks in Sri Lanka last year. Sadly, she lost her mum. She lost her dad. Just her cousin, and she even lost her eyesight. And from the picture, Debbie on the far far right and her brother Rufus, who's next to her, are now being taken care of by their Aunt Rebecca, who's on the far left, and their grandmother. And Eddie said that we've been treating people like them, the persecuted church, like a, a prosthetic limb. So acting like they're attached, but not really part of us because we've chosen not to feel their pain, to suffer alongside them. Now, I know at one level it makes no sense. I mean, if I had a choice for just my tooth to hurt and nothing else or for my whole body to hurt along with my tooth, I would definitely go for the former. I'd rather that one part hurt and the rest of my body could just ignore it and get on with life. Except it doesn't work like that. My body is not made like that. It's all interlinked. It's all connected up whether I like it or not. Um, The Apostle Paul says that this is a reflection of the body of Christ of the church and as much as I want to ignore all that's happening to my brothers and sisters part of our journey with multicultural church is to realize that our brothers and sisters are in pain that we shouldn't pretend otherwise and we need to stand with them against injustice and to sympathize with their pain 
The Apostle Paul actually says something similar in Romans 12 verses 14 and 15. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So would there be any reason not to rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn? Well, I think there's tons of things that we do to to not connect with the pain and the celebration. Perhaps we're too wrapped up in ourselves, our own pain, our own issues, and we struggle to connect with others because in one sense, it's not even touching us. We're so consumed with ourselves. Or perhaps we're full of critique and cynicism. So when we see emotion, we analyse it or point out the excesses of it. And so we keep things at an emotional distance. Or perhaps we just simply find it hard to rejoice or weep over anything. We're just not very emotionally present in life. Or perhaps one of the reasons you might not rejoice with those who rejoice or weep with those that weep is that you're glad they are weeping or angry that they are rejoicing. Perhaps you've got a problem with them. Perhaps there's internal conflict or you're angry and resentful because of something they've done and you want things to go bad for them. So that's why Paul puts verses 14 and 15 together. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do you hear that? Don't curse those who persecute you. Don't want them to be cursed. Don't be glad when they weep. Bless them. He wants your response to them not to depend on how they treated you. So how on earth do we do that? Well, Romans 12 is just a masterclass in showing us that becoming a Christian enables radical inner change. You can only overcome self-preoccupation or self-serving when you are overwhelmed by Jesus's self-emptying. Let me say that again. You can only overcome self-preoccupation and self-serving when you are overwhelmed by Jesus's self-emptying. So Romans 12 starts, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12, verse 1. As you gaze at God's mercy in your life, as you are in view of God's mercy, where he died for you when you were his enemy, as you gaze, you will be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you can discern and embrace the will of God. And then the Apostle Paul opens for us that, The most profound level of transformation and renewing that has to happen if we're going to do the will of God in this chapter, like bless those who persecute us and weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. It says in verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So what's the alternative in Paul's mind to thinking too highly of ourselves? Well, the answer isn't thinking too lowly of ourselves. We're not doormats. We're not to hate ourselves or too highly of ourselves, which leads to an inability to empathise. The alternative, according to these verses, is in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So faith in what? Well, it's faith in Jesus, faith in him being enough for you. Faith means you don't have to look out just for yourself or completely forget about yourself. It's about turning to Jesus and saying everything I need is found in you. And this step brings transformation on the inside. If Paul had just said, don't retaliate when people persecute you, you could physically do nothing. But inside you're a box of hatred and bitterness. But he goes beyond that and says, bless those that 
persecute you. It's based on Jesus's words from Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who will treat you. Blessing is this internal state of wishing the best for someone. It's thought and deed. And it only comes when you see Jesus, Jesus doing that for the world as he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do in Luke 23. And as you see Jesus doing it and modelling it for you, you then experiencing doing, d Jesus doing those things for you when you didn't deserve them and letting that same power be at work in you. You know, evangelist Mark Ritchie tells this great story of a huge Scottish, beautiful castle. And it's cold and wet outside and you'd love to go in this castle. The lights are on. It looks amazing inside. You can smell the food. But there's this huge moat or trench around it, which means you can't get into this castle. And however much you want to go in, you just can't get around this moat. You can't go under it, can't go over it. And you know that there's a welcome waiting for you in the castle, but you're out in the cold. So what happens? Well, wonderfully, the drawbridge comes down and you're able to go over the drawbridge into the welcoming arms. And that's the message of the cross. God is this celebration for us. He's got all that we need, peace, destiny, hope. But we can't get in. We're, we're out in the cold. We're messed up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. So what does God do? Well, he sends Jesus to the cross. The cross is the drawbridge that comes down. Jesus comes down from heaven. He comes down low, low down so that we could come through the cross into the arms of God. How amazing that God's son would make himself the floor, like the ground, the dirt, so that we're able to walk over into the arms of God. He humbles himself. He is the drawbridge. And Jesus has done that for you. He's done that for me. And so when I say yes to Jesus, I'm trusting he is enough. When I walk across the drawbridge, knowing the welcome in the castle will satisfy means I can let go of my hurts and prejudice. I can receive forgiveness for the ugliness in my heart. I don't have to prove anything anymore because I've befriended the humble king who laid down his life for me. And you see, this whole conversation about multicultural church is only possible because of Jesus. We're not just trying to give you 10 tips on being a friendlier church. Rather, we are reaching for something that is out of reach on our own. We are putting our faith in Christ. We're receiving his sacrifice for our sins. And by doing that, the church can become a place of great diversity. diversity. But it's only through us totally and utterly committing to Jesus as we receive his total and utter, utter commitment to us. So what does that look like to suffer alongside that, that suffer and rejoice alongside those that are honoured? Well, Job 2 describes a wonderful response to Job's suffering from his friends. He's lost everything of value, his family, his livelihood, his property, and he's now been afflicted with sores and he's using sharp bits of pottery to scratch his wounds as he sits in the ashes of his life. And what do his friends do? Well, Job 2 verse 11 says, when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. 
And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You know, it's a beautiful picture of what it means to come alongside someone who's suffering. They set out from their home, so they took the initiative. They didn't wait to be asked. Their aim was to sympathise and bring comfort, not fix things. And they wept with him. They mourned. They felt the pain. They sat in the dust with him for a long time. And though it's not in the text, I think in our situation, as we look at multicultural church, it means we need to stand alongside when people of colour face issues of injustice and racism and prejudice. It means educating ourselves and educating those around us. And when we're educated, it means we can pray intelligently for um, people's needs. We can support, we can bring help and protection and strength. See, when one hurts, all hurt. Clearly, it's about getting close enough to feel other people's pain. But it's also about being close enough to celebrate. Remember, the last part of verse 26 says, if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. What does that sentence actually mean? Well, if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. That word honoured in the Greek means to be exalted or shown dignity or brought glory. So it's used uh, in John 12, verse 28, when Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. It's used in Matthew 6 by Jesus when he says, don't give away your money in front of people in order to receive their praise. So when the marginalised receive praise or they're glorified or exalted in some way, it's saying the whole body should celebrate with them. So whether it's passing exams or getting a job or promotion, perhaps overcoming personal challenges or even overcoming injustice issues, we need to celebrate as a church, perhaps with food and music and, and thoughtful cards and cheers and one day hugs, high fives and loud laughter, even prayers of thanks and being able to worship together. That's how we celebrate. It's a beautiful picture of what the church can and should be. And so let's make that our journey together, Mosaic. Let's be a people known for our gracism. When one part suffers, all suffer. And when one part is honoured, all celebrate. Now, as we close out today, let's turn our gaze back to Jesus. Let's use this song to inspire us to live sacrificial lives for his name's sake some of the words of this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation, we sing praise to the King of Kings. You are our everything and we will adore you. We will adore you. Let's come to this incredible God and ask for him to change us so that our church would become a multicultural church.